0: Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus and we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here, we say it's all about jesus we wrote it on the wall if you need some help and so what that means if you need a bible to follow along and you need to borrow one of ours you can just slip up your hand whether you're at the Builton campus or at the lompoc campus you can just lift up your hand and one of our ushers will get a bible to you and then if you don't have a bible uh, take that one that's a gift to you and we pray that you take it and you read it every single day because every time you do you get to meet with jesus amen Amen. Amen. Uh, we're so glad that you're joining with us today. If you're gathered together at 213 North J Street, the Lompoc campus, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. We are one church in a couple lo- locations, and so we are so glad you are joining us today. Hey, turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. We're jumping back into our series that we've been in uh, for many months, actually, and, uh, and we've taken a couple of se- uh, breaks for the series, and uh, some mini-series series that we just got out of, uh, like Then Sunday Came, and so we're going to jump back into the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so you can just turn there, and I want you to turn to chapter 32, that's how many chapters we've covered, and 32, uh, and then verse 22. I'm going to read a passage, I'm going to catch some of us up very quickly in where we are. And then uh, we are going to talk about the implications of that text and ultimately how this is good news from the start. Amen. So Genesis chapter 32, verse 22, and you can say amen when you're there it says this the same night he arose and he took his two wives his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of jaybook uh, and took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day when the man saw that he did not prevail against jacob he touched his hip socket Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven or wrestled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penal, saying, for I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. The sun arose upon him, and he passed over uh, Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is in the hip socket, because he touched the hip of Jacob on the sinew of the thigh. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today that you help us in all things for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. How many of you uh, pride yourself on being a creature of habit? How many of you got, uh, like you got some routines, right? Uh, uh, Some of us have some routines. And uh, uh, how many of you get a little disgruntled when your routine doesn't go, come on, uh, just own it, right? Like, so is, uh, mine has to do, like, I, I'm, I have a pretty particular, uh, appetite. Uh, people would call me extremely picky. And, uh, and I'm so picky that now it has become, uh, a, um, kind of a claim to fame if you will everyone probably like many of you been around the church for some time like you already knew this and and if you have dinner with me or you have a barbecue like it becomes an ongoing joke everyone seems to know what i eat the other night i was at a wedding and one of the ladies who was catering the wedding used to work at a restaurant here in town and very quickly she came up to the table i didn't even recognize her and she's like well i'm not going to put the salad in front of sam because i know he will not eat it and then it was like I so said, she just knows, right? And, and this this lady worked at a local restaurant. She knew my uh, habits based on what time I showed up at the restaurant. And so if I showed up uh, prior to noon and it felt a little more like brunch, I was getting the fennel sausage pizza, all right? And and, and if we were, we had just tipped over, I mean, if it's 11.48 and I walk in the door, she looks at the clock and she's just ringing up fennel sausage pizza. And then if it had just ticked just over to 1201 she knows I'm eating the skirt steak pizza right it's lunchtime now right like it's not brunch right like like I'm tipping over into so much so that like my habits now I'm now known for them like like it's an ongoing thing like how much more uh, with the habits and ebbs and flows of our lives do we sometimes get labels attached to us stereotypes a lot of times stereotypes come with truthful things to them and and it's it, true we can become caricatures in our own lives and and what we say and what we do and how we act can become what we call our character what we're known for. And our character will ultimately dictate where we're going. There's a little saying I've been using for years. It's not in the Bible, but it seems to ring true. There's biblical principles behind it. You've probably seen it on refrigerator magnets before. My thoughts will become my words. My words will become my actions. My actions will become my habits. And my habits will become my character. And my character will determine my destiny. Are you with me? You've memorized that already, amen? Are you ready? Let, let's say it all together. My thoughts will become my words. My words will become my actions. My actions, my habits, and my habits, my character, and my character will determine my destiny. My What I think, what I think about my life, what I think about each other, what what begins to to, to kind of float around in my mind in the ethereal all of a sudden becomes tangible because what I I think about, and that's what I begin to. Bes- I, I begin to speak, and, and words are powerful it's not even a matter of of some kind of magical voodoo of saying things it's that my my thoughts and my words will begin to determine the trajectory of my life i will manifest i will become a self-fulfilling prophecy more often than not and it will all start in my mind what i think very much matters jesus uh, or the scriptures say this uh, Guard your heart because out of it flows the issues of life. Now, the ancient Hebrews didn't, uh, when they used the word heart, it wasn't like the heart beating in your chest. Uh, although there are scientists and and, and and some people who suggest that the heart has a brain. Or in other words, the heart has a nervous system to it. That, that's, that even our heart can determine certain things in our heart. Body, not just to keep us alive. But the ancient Hebrews would talk about the heart, the issues of the heart, and guarding our heart, for out of it flows everything that is my life. Jesus says it this way out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. And ultimately, my speech and what I say is oftentimes tied to what I believe. More often, than not, and that's why we have to be careful. We have to be careful with, 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 with word salad. We gotta be careful with word vomit, if you will. Come on, somebody, let's just be honest. To be careful that our tongue does not outrun our brain. And that's true of many of us. Come on, somebody, I speak for a living. Sometimes I'm like, let me take that one back, right? And and, and yet, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that be careful with the tongue because it can set the world ablaze. Now, how did 2,000 years ago Would the Bible know that many of our issues today, many of the things that happen around the world revolve around speech and information and misinformation and disinformation and who said this and who says that and who's lying one day and who's a conspiracy uh, truth teller? Uh, One day, and and, and yet the other day, the next day, they got labels on them. Man, the the, the speech of the word, think about all that we deal with and we manage in our society, how we navigate the bottomless pit that is the interwebs. And apparently the Bible prophesied this bottomless pit, friend. And and yet many of us don't know how to navigate it, but we can understand it, that our speech is so powerful powerful in determining the course and direction of our lives three of you think that I thought I built a much better case than that right speech can determine a lot of the direction of our lives amen so that means it starts with what I think how I perceive how I relate that's why the word repentance is so powerful in the New Testament Repentance isn't just about what I do, but it's how I think. In the Greek, this word metanoia is tied to changing the way you think so that you do something different. So you can't do something different until you change the way you think about it. You, you can't change course and direction. If you realize your life is going one way and you go, man, I need to course correct. You can never make that course correction until you identify and come to reckon with that this is the wrong way. And I need to reroute. I need to change direction. That starts in your mind. That starts in your heart. It's about your belief beginning to drive your behavior and see what you do and what you say and what you think will begin to be what you are known for. This passage that we just read about the person of Jacob, Jacob was known for his behaviors. Jacob was known as a deceiver. I mean, that's literally what we've come to know his name as. Jacob means deceiver. And so let me just apologize for anybody named Jake in the room this morning. And for anyone who has a kid named Jacob, uh, let me just tell you that unless you're naming your kid Jesus, there's something wrong with every name. All right? And, and and see sometimes like I I know that we think uh, in ways when we hear biblical names some of us have to navigate that I had people warning me not to name my son Canaan because of stuff in the Bible and, and yet I I felt like I'd moved to Canaan land on the central coast come on somebody I I believed I was in the promised land that's why we named our kid Canaan when we got here and so uh, so let me just put your mind at ease when we talk about these names it's. Because that the story has now dictated it's what they've been known for and then and then passed down a lineage. Oftentimes we name our children after their fathers and their forefathers because there was something we valued about them. And sometimes that name becomes a synonymous with a behavior. And, and so, let, let me just put your mind at ease, no matter, it, you didn't get to choose your name, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But Jacob could choose his behavior, and because of his behavior, he, he was, became known as a deceiver. See, where we're at, every story starts with God. In your story, my story, all of our stories start with God. Whether or not we have deviated and we want to ignore that fact, but he is the author of this story. And you have to begin to wrestle with that. Genesis starts with God creating everything. And it was good. And then, man coming along and deciding they that he wanted to decide what was good on his own, and that went really bad. You ever tried to do your own thing and it didn't and you tried to get your way, and it didn 't work out the way you wanted it to work out and then you were like, no, why did you let me do that right?" And yet, sometimes we get our way. God allows us to go that way, and yet still he's making a way. And that's the story. The story is we went astray, and yet God is pursuing. God is at work. From the opening pages of Scripture, God has a plan. And it's been good news from the start. The the opening of the book is about his goodness towards us even though we trip stumble and fall into all our badness he still has good for us and this is the story the story begins to go on how collectively man when, when man tries on his own and even together even with all the people and trying to come up with a collective idea if we do not acknowledge God and we are left to our own vices and our own ideologies and our own philosophies a bunch of men can be worse than even just one man come on boys right you can get it together and it could go astray you read stories like the tower of babel and god says no no, no. you you keep trying to do this on your own it's not going to work out and your unity what you think is unity is causing destruction When you're not submitting to the transcendence that is god so the story goes on, and God makes a covenant. God makes a covenant with one man to ultimately show what all men would do. God picks one family out of the bunch and goes, let me, let me, let me show you, he picks Abraham, and he says, I'm gonna bless your family. But when you stretch out the story, what you find is this whole story is about everybody else getting it wrong. And ultimately get to the end of the story. We preach the Old Testament in light of the New Testament that ultimately this whole story is a story leading to Jesus. So the story of the Bible is about everyone else getting it wrong and one person getting it right. That's good news for you and I, amen. And so what we see are these stories that we can learn from. We can can peer into them and see how this story begins to add up. We can see that Jacob, as a young boy, his grandfather is Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, 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 You can go back and kind of catch up on some of these sermons and some of these series, but... What well, we can do, whether you've not heard any of it, I believe that God can can begin to illuminate for us. You can begin; he, His Holy Spirit will begin to connect the dots. And when you read things that point to the person of Jesus, all of a sudden this light bulb will go off, and you go, "Man, that that sounds true. That sounds righteous. How does that know something that I didn't even first perceive? How does it read me more than I read it?" So let me just say, you don't have to feel anxiety like, "Man, they're." 32 chapters in and I, I need to catch up let, let me tell you the Holy Spirit will point you to truth and, and so where we find is this lineage of, of a grandfather trying to get it right but we see Abraham's flaws see here's what's the good news about the Bible is that if you study like each individual hero of the faith you'll find out that they are heroes They're merely men. And see, that's how this story, this book, is different than all other religious texts. It's not just giving you, with rose-colored glasses, the actions of our patriarchs. It actually begins to put in the flaws and the mess. And yeah, I trust God one minute, and then I do my own thing the next. It seems like we can identify with that kind of story. Abraham's that. Isaac tries to do what's best. He's seen God be faithful to his father. He was in the middle uh, of this divine moment for Abraham and this covenant that he's making with God. He's ultimately laying on an altar where God asks Abraham to give his only son. And in the moment he sees God provide a ram caught in the thicket as he provides a substitute and sacrifice after God sees Abraham's heart. Isaac goes on tries to live in the lineage and legacy of his father, Abraham. He takes a wife for himself, Rebekah. And yet he begins to abdicate his responsibility in the family. He begins to divide up He goes, you know, you know what? I, I'll do my thing. I'll be outside with my son Esau uh, and Rebekah, you're inside with my son Jacob. And all of a sudden he begins to divide things up. you you know how you have favorites with your children <laughs> It's just true and uh, and and yet, and yet sometimes you just find uh, that you tend to gravitate where it's easiest. you ever notice that? Psychologists will say that that human beings will avoid discomfort at all costs it's discomfort discomfort comes with disagreement discomfort comes when it doesn't things don't seem to ebb and flow and and I got to work hard to connect with this one and I got to work hard to to try to guide this one and and me and him are always button heads me and her we don't have much in common and so you begin to remove yourself from the discomfort that you face and so you abdicate your responsibility of leading and guiding your entire home even if it's difficult somebody say amen Amen. to that and sometimes we got to wade into the fray we can't we can't just say hey you know I'll do my thing I'll go to work babe you take care of the kids and I'm not involved and engaged with what happens at home Isaac was that he loves God he follows God but then he has two sons that become enemies of one another he raises a son. He has an. Uh, 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 his wife Rebecca becomes an overbearing mother because Isaac is distant from his wife. Clearly, there's something she's missing. So what does she do? She pours her life into the kids. She says, "It's me and my boy against the world," and she looks at little Jacob and says, "I'll I'll keep you. I will love you. I'll give you everything. Just never leave me." right? Jordan Peterson begins to talk about this, and Carl Jung and Freud begins to talk about this. What you'll find is most Disney movies begin to make a caricature of this type of mother. So mothers... Love God, find your place and your value, not in what you do or who you raise, but in whom God has called you to be and the value he has ordained on you and the gift of children that he's given you. Amen? But here's the key to it. You realize that they're God's children and not your children. (laughs) Isn't that difficult? It's hard. Mother's Day is coming up, so let's get this out of the way right now. (laughs) <laughs> but, but, but let, let me find because that, that happens so often you, you, you can look at it and, and what happens is that type of relationship. all of a sudden empty nesters uh, have problems in their marriage because they forgot one another through raising the children and then all of a sudden they become empty nesters they go hey nice to meet you uh, we haven't seen each other in 30 years Right, So you have to be careful with that. I love you enough to say that. And, and the Bible doesn't remove that from even the heroes. They didn't have perfect marriages and they didn't re- raise their kids perfect. So you're in good company, amen? Yeah. But it, God loves us enough to reveal it for us so that we can look at it and then begin to glean and learn from and then change the way we think so that we do something different, amen? So... Jacob learns how to manipulate. He doesn't know how to face his father. He doesn't know how to man up. He doesn't know how to look him in the eye. So, what does he do? He begins to manipulate. He's afraid of confrontation. And then he listens to his mother who begins to use him as a tool of deception. And this becomes Jacob's story. He steals the birthright from his brother. He dresses up and fakes being his brothers. His dads are his old and his eyes are weak. And he steals the birthright from his brother. And then he goes on, he has to flee. He's afraid of his brother and he flees to another land. You know what happens to him? He reaps what he sows. He goes and he seeks out a wife because you remember the story. This is how we got to answer this question. And the same night he arose and took his two wives. How does he end up with two wives? Well, the man that he goes to to work for, Laban, has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was the one he goes, Woo-hoo-hoo! want that one, right? and 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 yet leah was the older one and laban doesn't want to give in marriage his younger daughter without giving in marriage his older daughter and so Jacob comes to agreement to work for Laban for seven years in order to marry Rachel. At the end of the seven years, and it's wedding night, and he thinks that he is going to marry Rachel, they get him drunk, and he wakes up with the older sister, Leah. And then Laban tricks him into working seven more years and I'll give you also Rachel. And now Jacob's life, his, cut, his deceiving, his stealing, his manipulating has now come back on him because the Bible says you will reap what you sow. And now the trickster has been tricked. Now he's got two wives and he's got a brother that he's stolen from that he still can't face. Now all of a sudden he's coming to grips with all the decisions that he's made. And you realize that your today is made up of all your yesterdays. You ever notice that? That the totality of who you are today are the decisions that you made yesterday. And man, the weight of that can be so heavy. And yet Jacob is coming to grips. He sends everyone away and it says Jacob was left alone. Man, those are the moments, right? Those are the moments that I have to come to grips with who I am. It's not in the hustle and bustle. I can can feel life with the kids and with the busyness and with sports and I I can feel it with my job. I can work and I can ignore, but when I'm alone, I have to wrestle with the decisions I've made and the direction of my life. That's the reality for so many of us and it's no different for Jacob. And what I can learn from Jacob is this, he begins to wrestle with who he is and then it actually says in a very literal sense that a man comes and he begins to wrestle with him and it turns out that this is no ordinary man but this is actually god now the old testament will see uh, that oftentimes there are uh, the, this figure that begins to appear like a man but yet is God. Oftentimes this title is called the angel of the Lord. If you're familiar with Bible stories, one of those stories is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those boys who were thrown in the fiery furnace, it says that the guards looked in and says, who is the fourth man? We only threw three in there and he looks like the son of God. So there are these moments in the Old Testament, we call it a Christophany. We call it Christ appearing as a man in the Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, what we find is Jesus is God become man. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is God appearing like a man. In the New Testament, God becomes a man and dwells among us. This is how we see one continuous story beginning to the end. It's not the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. This is what he's begun to prepare the people of God for. So it's not so foreign when Jesus even says, no, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And yet oftentimes Orthodox Jews would kick that belief. And yet what we find is in the Old Testament where Jacob is gonna become Israel, even in this story, there is one like a man who is also God. And he wrestles with him i was at a um i was at a jiu-jitsu tournament yesterday my son competed in a jiu-jitsu tournament and it was the most stressful thing of my life right like (laughs) like you know what it was like to be a parent you're like the the idea of like someone hurting your child and then you're like actually going to put them in a ring and be like go ahead do it right hurt my Kid, right? You're stand, you got to like, they got a pin around. I know they don't, they don't just let you stand around with an imaginary line. They put fences around because they know like parents will be running out there, like, get off my boy, right? Like, and yet, uh, watching this jujitsu match and knowing that I was kind of in this tax, it, it was an interesting kind of, of Uh, of kind of thing to begin to like, all right, here's this, this wrestling match. And here's this, this, this idea of wrestling with God, very literal in this text. And I I started thinking about uh, what would happen if you wrestled with God. Sometimes I I get in, in a wrestling match. Sometimes I go in and do jujitsu and and I have a buddy, Jason, who owns the, the Gracie Baja uh, jujitsu in Solvang represent. Come on. Amen. And, uh, and, uh, and and what's wild is he kind of looks like me a little bit and he's got a beard and, and, and I gave him one of these hats and and we even thought about joking. Like one day he just comes up here and he's like, hey, I'm Sam Kaiser. And then someone tries to grab him and he does some big flip. And you're like, whoa, Sam is amazing, right? <laughs> and and then we do some switch. And uh, anyways, uh, like th- th- so, like he he's a black belt in jujitsu and I am not and I'll go roll with him, roll with him. And, and there'll be sometimes where I think I'm winning, man. I got him, like he's got me like in some arm bar here and the other day he, he got me with a fist choke to my neck. And let me tell you, when a grown man chokes you with his fist, it's uncomfortable, right? <laughs> And it's like I'm rolling jujitsu with this guy, and like at no point, even when I got him stacked on his head, and at one point like I had him by the neck, and he still wouldn't tap, and I'm choking him out, and he's just letting me do whatever I want to do, and he's like, "Yeah, that's cute, that tickles, right?" Like. And and, and yet at no point in this match do I ever think I'm winning. See, that's how I I view this wrestling match with Jacob. God's like, oh, that's cute, right? (laughs) Oh, he thought you yeah, have, you're like... And then then I, like this moment where like Jacob had him and he said, like, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless. What I imagine is Jacob holding on to the ankle of God and he's like scooting him and he's like, I'm not letting you go, right? Yeah, you, you, you've not had the best of me yet. And he's like, okay, like, what do you want? Like, it's daybreak. We're gonna do this all night. Like we're doing this already. The day is up. Let's Let's be done with it. And he's going, no, 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 like, let me just bless me, like I I don't know what else to do, I'm just holding on for dear life. See, that was Jacob, he went from from being a deceiver to somebody who's wrestling, coming to grips with, confronting, deception is out the window and he's gotta decide, who am I? Is this my grandfather's faith? Is this my father's faith? Am I gonna live like with, with somewhat of God and then whatever I want? Because it's not, it's not worked out the way I thought it was going to work out. When, it, when I thought it would go my way, it didn't go my way, it didn't go no way at all. And now I have to deal with who I am and he wrestles with God. See, I think this is a great passage for God to leave for us. Because what you have to realize is the story of Jacob, he becomes Israel, which literally means one who wrestles with God. And then the New Testament is gonna come on and Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is this new Israel. He's gonna come through this family, this lineage. Jacob, Israel is gonna have 12 sons and Judah is one of these sons and Judah isn't the best son and yet God's gonna come through the lion of Judah. He's going to use messed up and the brothers who actually are part of selling their younger brother. Notice that that oftentimes your decisions, your behavior, your thoughts, your words, your actions, your habits, your characters get passed down generation to generation. What's he do? He, he, He literally raises boys who become deceivers and deceptive and he gets deceived once again. But yet God will use all of that He'll use the mess up and he'll use the mistake and he'll write a bigger story than you can ever possibly imagine. Yet Jesus is gonna come through this same line and our faith is found in Jesus. But the foundation of this faith in Jesus is a group of people who wrestle with God and if, if you thought Christianity was just about you submitting and just saying, okay, fine, I'll have it your way, rather than actually, God, I don't understand. And God, why? And God, could you? And man, I'm not letting go of your promise. I'm not letting go of that until you bless me. See, so if if you thought Christianity was about blind faith and you just checking off the box and you just following in line and becoming a cookie cutter Christian and and being a card carrier and you got your, man, I'm a Christian and your WWJD bracelets, right, which I I think is the worst thing because it doesn't matter what Jesus would do. It matters what he actually did and you ought to just do that. So one who wrestles with God. And so here's some things that I think we have to wrestle with. Maybe what we learn here from him, and so there's there's three ways in which I think you as an individual have to wrestle with God and even as a Christian. And and so let let me just say for the skeptic, let me say for someone who's who's searching for God and wrestling with the existence of God, like, like you're in good company, fight well, but you're going to have to come to grips with, how did I get here? What is my purpose? Where am I going? You're going to have to answer the questions of, man, how did we all get here? Why am I here? What do I do Why while I'm here? And where do I end up? Like every person will have to deal with their worldview. You have to deal with origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. Every single person. And where science stops, what science can observe, someone goes, I believe in science. Well, what about meaning and purpose? You go, well, there is no meaning and purpose. Then why are so many books sold all over the world about meaning and purpose? And why are there so many life coaches telling you, you better find your purpose and your destiny. And they're making millions of dollars trying to help you find your purpose. That doesn't exist. So you have to wrestle with that. How did I get here? Why am I here? Origin, meaning. What do I do? What's right and wrong? How can I say something's wrong? How can I say something's good and something's bad? Where are the lines of morality and what is that based on? Is it transcendent above me or am I refereeing my own game? Because, man, you listen, you, you get some fellas in here, have them referee their own jujitsu match, have them referee their own basketball game, have them referee their own fight in their marriage. It didn't go well, friend. Amen? So we need, a, we need someone outside of us to begin to give us the trajectory of our lives. And then ultimately you have to ask the question, like, where do I end up? What happens after I die? Is there an afterlife? What is the purpose to life? You have to wrestle with it. So if you're, you're, you've been wrestling with God, man, let me tell you, this is a good place to wrestle with him. We, we got some tools and some, some help for you, but you're gonna have to ask these questions and you're gonna have to answer these questions. For those of you who've said, man, I, I, I trust God and I know Jesus is, real and I know he did what he said he was do and I've 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 heard the evidence of the resurrection I, I I know it's more plausible and more logical that he actually rose than he didn't and there's strong overwhelming evidence to suggest that case if that's you and you've said I've put my trust in Jesus you still have a fight on your hands anybody's been following Jesus for some time you still have a fight on your hands amen, amen. so what is that fight well, I think there's a few things that you have to fight with as a believer. You have to wrestle with. You have to wrestle with your past, is the first thing. You gotta fight with your past. It, it was a, a, a few years back, I I, I was at LA, LAX um, airport, we were flying, it was like uh, my my second uh, Oldest was maybe two, still in a stroller, and uh, then we had my oldest. We had like a double stroller, and God bless you. They don't make quadru- that. Maybe they do, but we we're never doing that, right? Uh, but we had the double stroller, and we're walking through LAX, and I and I passed by this gentleman who who looked like he had been through the ringer that night, but uh, something something like took my my gaze, and I was like, man. I think that's, and I go over to Sarah and I go, Sarah, I think that's Chris Stapleton. And she was like, what? And for those of you who don't know who Chris Stapleton is, shame on you. And I whipped, I was like, that's Chris Stapleton. She's like, I think it is. And we have to be those people, right? And like, I mean, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. He's from Eastern Kentucky. Like our high schools played each other in football, man. This is a small little area. And this is before he got as famous as he is now. It's before he sang the best national anthem in history at the Super Bowl. God bless, anyways. And, uh, and yet before all that, uh, no one really... Knew who he was, but we knew who he was, and I whipped that double stroller around, and, I, and, I, and I, I wheeled over there, and I said, excuse me, but are you Chris Stapleton? He was like, why, yes, I am. <laughs> With a voice that sounds like an angel that smokes four packs a day, you know? What? <laughs> what? why yes i am right and, and i was like man oh, this is amazing uh, like i can't believe we're meeting each other like uh i was like oh we gotta we gotta be those people and i was and he's like it's funny we were just over here discussing your t-shirt and i was like well that's ri- <laughs> what what do you mean you were talking about me while i was over there talking about you <laughs> right I, I was like what, what do you he was like we were just over there uh talking about your your t-shirt. What, what does that mean? And, and I, I had some big box chain graphic tee that had some kind of slogan on, and I quickly gave him like this little what I thought it meant. And I was like, let's move on. Like, where are you from in Kentucky? And, and he tells me, and I tell him, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. And he's like, well, we're a long way from home, aren't we? And, and, and we kind of took a picture, and, and I moved on, and, and uh, it was an amazing kind of moment. I love his music. And But I I didn't realize that what would kind of like linger on about that story was not the fact that I met Chris Stapleton, but it's what I said to him very quickly about the t shirt I had on. See, I had a t shirt that said, Create the Past. And as a lyricist, a songwriter, he's probably looking in for inspiration like I am for sermons. And so when I walked by, my T-shirt that said, create the past, caught his eye as, I, as he, being Chris Stapleton, caught my eye. And he said, what does create the past mean? And I said, well, I think it means to redefine how you look at the past. And I quickly moved on and I was like, I never thought about it. Why did I wear this dumb T-shirt? <laughs> And then I begin to think about it more and more, and I think here's what you need to hear. See, the good news about Jesus helps us to create the past. It begins to redefine how we look at the past. See, you're gonna to have to wrestle with your past, but you need to wrestle with your past through the power of the gospel. See, the power of the gospel is Christ in our place. He came, he lived, he died. He said, it is finished and he offers us a new life. And now I get to redefine my old one. See, because of Jesus, see, Jacob wrestled with God and he was afflicted. Jesus was not afflicted by God, but stricken by God. See, Jacob was afflicted and God blessed him. God blessed one. Jesus was stricken and because Jesus was stricken by God, not a wrestling match, but war. A war for the justice and grace of God. See, why is that? Why is this wrestling match? Because God is good and sin is so wicked. And so when the Bible says that Jesus took on our sin and died in our place, the Bible says that he was stricken by God, not just afflicted, not just his hip was touched, but ultimately the cross is the example of the ultimate battle that human beings have with a holy God. And yet God stands in our place. Jesus allows himself to be stricken by God and God not blesses just one, but because of Jesus, God blesses everyone. See, with Jacob, Jacob was looking out for himself. Jacob wanted the blessing from God for himself, but Jesus comes and lives and dies and fights the ultimate fight of good and evil and the cosmos, and not for himself, not for just the one, but for everyone who believes. For God sent his only son that whosoever would believe, whoever, for everyone, an open invitation. See, Jesus is a better Israel. Jesus is a better Jacob. Jesus is a better one. And then, what what does God do with Jacob? God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. And with Jesus, what does God do? God doesn't even give his name to Jacob. And yet God gives you his name through Jesus. God calls you his. God calls you beloved. God calls you saved and set apart. God calls you righteous because of Jesus. Jesus is a better Jacob. Jesus is stricken by God in order to bless everyone that you may come through him, that he fulfills the debt that we owe God. And yet it's a price we could not pay. And God says, I'll pay. When man could not pay, God becomes a man. Not God appears to be a man, God becomes a man through Jesus. And he takes on the wrath of God and fulfills it, dies in our place. And this was the plan, good news from the start, fulfilling the prophecy in Genesis that said, one will come, the seed of a woman, and he will crush the head of the serpent. You will bruise his heel, but he will win ultimately in victory. So then what does Jesus do? He gives you his name. That's why in the New Testament, they begin to call followers of Jesus, Christians, or little Christ. He doesn't give Jacob his name, but he gives you his name. You get to wear his name, you get, to, you, you, you get to, to wear his righteousness. The great theologian said it this way, it's the great exchange. God takes our bad and exchanges it for his good. It's double imputation. We imputed to him our sinfulness and he imputed to us his righteousness. Now you get to stand boldly before the throne room of grace. I get to look back at who I was in light of who I am. Here's how I redefine the past. Here's how the gospel begins to wrestle, help me wrestle with the past. See, the past is something that begins to define me. But see, here's the reality is, here's the reality. I think we're losing power. The reality is this, is that oftentimes, the past is the thing that defines us. And yet, God is calling us to see his life, his past as what defines us. See, I'm not defined by what I've done, but I'm defined by what he's done. Now, all of a sudden, everything behind me looks different. I get to recreate how I see the past. I'll finish with this. See, sometimes what happens is this, sometimes, our past and who we are today because of what happened in the past oftentimes is attached to somebody else. You ever notice that? You ever notice that your name often has a name, your past often has a name attached to it? See, what the gospel is helping us do is attach his name to it. See, the gospel is that I am forgiven because of what he's done, not because of what I've done. Now, what that does is it helps me look back and see the people in my past different. It gets to, I, I, get to, I get to see through the lens of the gospel. Why? Because now I'm seen in the lens of the gospel. I and mean, this is the power of God unto salvation which is I have received grace therefore I can extend grace I can extend grace to myself in the past I can extend grace to those who have hurt me in the past all of a sudden I can I can relook and I can go back and, and I can see and I can go you know what They didn't know what they were doing. Jesus on the cross says, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I can look back and go, man, my father, my mother, my brother, my sister, that person who hurt me, man, they were captured by sin. They were sinners like what? Me. So you have to wrestle with, you have to wrestle with how the gospel defines your past and how ultimately the gospel helps you in your present, not be bound by your past, but to move forward and direct you forward. For ultimately, the future is already set, friend. I don't have to be afraid of the consequences of sin. I can live new and I gotta wrestle with that. I gotta wrestle with what it means for grace for my today and my grace for yesterday. Man, some of us need to hear that God has grace for your yesterday. And God has the power to help you forgive those who hurt you yesterday. That you can look back and go, they are forgiven. I forgive, I pray that God helps them recreate the past so they can look headlong into the future. So begin to change the way you think. Begin to change how you think about your past how you speak about your past, how you act because of your past. Don't allow the past to define you and become your character because God wants to give you a new name and it's his name. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today that you help us Jesus, because of your work, because you wrestled with God. The son submitted to the father. Where Jacob deceived his father, Jesus, you submitted to the father. You lived an obedient life when Jacob lived a deceptive life. And because of your obedience, And the cross, because you were stricken, now all of us have an opportunity to be accepted. We receive your grace that was bought and paid for by the work of the cross. And now we receive your blessing that is by grace, unmerited, undeserved favor, and we will wear your name Blessed, beloved child of God will wrestle with our past, help us to forgive those who have hurt us in our past. That it would no longer have power over us, that forgiveness would be the power that sets us on a course for the future that we would create the past, we'd redefine how we look at those people in our past and we would extend grace. So help us to think about it different, speak about it different, act on it differently, that it would no longer define us, that our character would not be defined and set from our past, but our character would be set by Christ. Because you've set our destiny that where you are, there we may be also. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?